Luke has written these words that the Spirit uh, guided him in and has been preserved for us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. We have learned in our previous studies that uh, sheep are not blessed with a high IQ. Um, in fact, when the Bible compares us with being sheep, of course, uh, it, it, it's a pretty harsh thing to say about us. It's an insult. Consider Shrek. Shrek is a sheep that lived in New Zealand. This picture was taken in 2004. After six years, Shrek hid in a cave because he didn't want to be sheared. They finally got hold of him, and uh, they broadcast his shearing on national television. And they got enough wool off of Shrek to make 20 men's suits. It happens to people sometimes when we fight against how we were made, what we were made for, the glory of God. We'd rather hide from God, stay in a cave somewhere, than really surrender. The truth of the matter is, Sheep need rescued constantly. When my wife and I were in Ireland a couple of years ago, we loved the beautiful landscape and the hilly, uh, the, the hillsides spotted with all these sheep in various places. They're in those various places because sheep love grass. I mean, they are crazy about grass. Woodrow Wilson knew that, our president, and so he had a flock of sheep that he had on the White House lawn to keep his lawn mowed. Sheep love it, regardless of where the grass takes them. They find themselves in risky places. Uh, we, hear, we hear of people living on the edge of life. Sheep live on the ledge of life. They don't care about where they are. Many of them will fall down steep hillsides to their deaths because they gave no thought of really where they were. No wonder Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So all sheep need rescued. But not only that, all sheep need utterly rescued. See, if you find a sheep, your job isn't over. It's not necessarily true that everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Because sheep don't always do that. In fact, that's not their tendency to go where they're supposed to go. Sometimes, and usually a sheep has to be dragged or uh, thrown down, tied up, carried home, all the way home. Sheep contribute nothing to their salvation. The shepherd has to do everything. Now, it's not like that with a dog. I've had dogs that run away. Finally, when they know they're losing as I'm chasing after them, you know, they make their way home. Not so. It's not a joint effort with sheep. As human beings, we are utterly lost, and our only hope is grace. 
We need a savior, someone to rescue us, someone who would live the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. So the search is on. It's what God is all about, searching for people. Aren't you thankful today he found you? Maybe you're here and he hasn't found you yet because you want to hide. You're here for somebody else's good. I trust that's not true. But please know, God is always searching for people. He's crazy about people. He's more crazy about people than he is sheep, than sheep are about grass. Of course, the muttering was going on. That's the context of this parable Jesus tells. He's, he says that they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The leaders are dumbfounded because they know what Jesus is saying. He's saying basically, I want to have community with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be in your home. I want to be at your table. I want to be in your life. It's more than just being friendly. Jesus came to save and to put us in a new kind of community. That's why we're meeting together this morning. And how many kinds of differences could separate us today? How many different opinions and preferences could put us in little pockets of people and little cliques? But here at this table, what unifies us is the blood of Christ that trumps all of our differences. And so that last meal that Jesus had with his close friends was a special meal for all Jews that night as they celebrated the deliverance of God's people out of slavery in Egypt centuries before. When God instructed every home to slay a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over those homes. And that night would be commemorated for the rest of the time for the nation of Israel's existence until that special day when John the Baptist would see Jesus coming toward him and say, behold, look, a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Years later, Matthew, Mark, and Luke would be writing the biographies of Jesus, and they would write about the bread on the table, and they would write about the wine on the table. But they wouldn't write about the lamb being on the table, but it probably was. Because by then they realized it wasn't significant that the lamb was on the table as much as the lamb was at the table. And so we are blessed again today. We don't do this out of mere routine and tradition, habit. We're not to do it just because we happen to be in church. We do this because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the death angel passes over us today because we've been rescued by God's Son and our Savior Jesus. Before he went to the cross, he suffered terribly in the garden. His suffering was over what he's about to face. He said, Father, if, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not what, what I will, but what you will. And that's what he's looking for us, even as we remember him this morning. He's looking for us to have that same spirit. Because this one who came laid down his life that we may share in this meal together. And know the joy of being rescued by God, for it is to be cleaned by him, cleansed by him, to have a purpose to get up for every morning, to have an abundant life today and in the future. 
And so it's time for us not only to remember, but to reflect. Am I willing to lay down my life that others may be rescued and leaves can be added to this table, the table extended, because God wants everybody at his table. It's a preview of what's to come when we're a great, around a great banquet table forever and ever, the banquet table of the Lamb of God. So let's prepare to remember and be thankful. That's a heavy scene, but it's a powerful reminder of our role in this world. Oskar Schindler was a businessman in Germany when World War II woke out, broke out, and although Schindler was a member of the Nazi party, when he witnessed the way that the Nazis were systematically obliterating the Jewish people, he decided that he couldn't sit back and do nothing. And so Oskar Schindler spent the next few years bribing Nazi officials to let him hire Jewish workers at his factory. And over the course of the war, Schindler did everything he could. He ran himself ragged, doing whatever it took to acquire more and more Jewish workers, and many of whom had been brutally treated and were near death by the time they arrived there at his factory. Oscar Schindler gave everything he had to provide for their basic needs and to try to nurse his workers back to health. Although he had once been a wealthy man, eventually Oscar Schindler died penniless because he had spent his entire fortune bribing the Nazis to look the other way, saving hundreds and hundreds of the Jews under his care from almost certain death in the concentration camps. All because when war broke out and people's lives were in danger, Oskar Schindler decided that he couldn't do nothing. And we too are living in a world where a dark power would like to steal the life of everyone you meet. Even though you may not wear a uniform, you're in an army. And even though you may have never seen combat overseas, you're in a war. Because the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. The souls of millions are at stake, and eternity hangs in the balance for every person you meet, every person in your neighborhood, every person who lives at your house, every person in front of you in line at the checkout aisle, every person you talk to in your workplace. Eternity is at stake. And this force that we are fighting against is greater than any earthly army. Paul writes about our enemy in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle for the eternal destiny of mankind is being waged all around us, every moment of every day. And today, you may just feel like an ordinary citizen. Oscar Schindler was. And you may wonder how your plain, ordinary, everyday life could possibly make a difference in the war between good and evil. And you may think that you don't have much to offer in the battle of the ages that has been raging since the beginning of time. But I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Because wars are won and lives are saved when ordinary people, ordinary people like Oscar Schindler, decide they can't just sit back and do nothing. But they decide to step up and use what they have to make a difference. And that's what God's been doing, actually, all along, all throughout the Scripture. Think about the Bible characters that you know, these people. God's been using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Messy, imperfect, ordinary people. 
Adam, he had marriage problems. Noah was the least successful preacher of all time and was prone to getting drunk. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all liars. Joseph was a slave and a jailbird. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a coward. Ruth was a Moabite. David was an adulterer and fathered a child out of wedlock. Solomon had too many wives. Elijah was prone to depression. Joseph was, or Jonah was insubordinate and moody. Elizabeth was elderly. Mary was a teenager. Joseph was just a small town blue collar worker who didn't have much money. Matthew was a traitor and a tax collector. James and John had anger management issues. Peter was a coward and a backstabber. And Paul, Paul was the most anti-Christian person anybody could think of. I don't care how messy you think your life is. Jesus can clean up your mess. And more than that, Jesus can use your mess and make it part of your message. You see, no matter how insignificant you may think your life is, Jesus is calling you, he's calling you, yes, you, to play a vital part in the grand story of him saving the world. He's calling you, like Oscar Schindler, to use everything you have to save one more person. Because that's what he did for us. And we just got done celebrating Christmas, the story of how Jesus looked at us and he saw how lost we were and he decided that he couldn't just sit back and do nothing. And so he came. And we too look out there and see how lost the world is. And we're deciding that we can't just sit back and do nothing. In the coming weeks, we're gonna be rolling out some big new initiatives here at the church and I hope you're gonna come be a part of them because we're gonna be laying out our strategy for how to empower all of us to use our everyday lives to make an eternal difference in God's kingdom. In the past few months, we've been spending time in the Gospel of Luke, looking at these things that this guy named Luke writes about the life of Jesus. And starting in January, we're actually gonna be moving from the Gospel of Luke to the next book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts. And Acts is this mind-boggling story of how the church got started and how God worked through ordinary people in their everyday lives to turn the world upside down. So be sure you're here for that. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Let me leave you today with the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. This is a charge to his followers. This is after Jesus has died and he's risen and he shows up to his followers and he proves to them that he is indeed alive and they believe it just like we believe it. And as a result of that, he tells them that they can't just sit there. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That, that power from on high. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. This power from on high that the disciples received and that you received if you've been baptized. And so the story of the church, the story of the book of Acts that we're gonna be diving into starting next week, the story of our whole lives is when that power from on high from the Holy Spirit comes on us and in us, we can't just do nothing. We have to move. We have to do whatever it takes to reach the lost.